You're listening to the We're Not Fine podcast with Doug Jensen and Dr. Talia Jackson. It's from a place of love. Really? Doug. Okay. It's all about the love, Doug. Welcome back. <laughs> We're back. We are Did back. you miss us as much as we missed you? Love comes in a variety of packages. But you have to Does make it... sure that you're loving people the way that they want to be loved. Ooh. And that think? is also authentic for you. Well, what if that's mutually exclusive? That might be a whole different topic because some people love the way they want to be loved. And that's authentic to them. You know, that's all about love languages. I feel like that's next on our agenda somewhere. Greg, write that down. <laughs> I, I am writing that down. We definitely need to have an episode about love languages for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. I like that idea. But, you know, one of the pieces of that, as you just said, is like how we support our friends, how we support our family members, how we support people in our lives. And, you know, you said something, Talia, about like that has to be kind of based on what they experience as loving or supportive. And I would say it starts with being authentic on our part. And if that person doesn't like love in that package, they have the responsibility to let us. I'm always big on obviously two-way communication. They have a responsibility to alert us, to let us know, yeah, like or to let us me, love them. In the like if, if Greg were to come here and he was having a hard day and you gave him a hug, I think he would like become a tight toothpick of wood and or a board, right? Because hugging, I don't believe, if I remember correctly, Greg, is your love language of how you feel support. Oh, no, no. It is definitely not. Definitely not my love language. In fact, I don't even, I don't even like getting massages. I wouldn't even go to like a masseuse. Like, I don't want anybody touching me. <laughs> At what Definitely point not. do we say, maybe you should talk to someone about that? Yeah. <laughs> like, there are the love languages, right? That's an intimacy right? issue. That is. It's an intimacy issue. Like, you don't mm. want to be touched or that isn't comforting to you. Talia, actually. You have- I, was, I was about to say, um, actually, our first um, topic today is interesting because it's it, it's something I personally relate to um, in a way that um, you know only people that have sort of been through the experience understand. But it's definitely you know an expression of love as well. Um, this is from Sharon, um, my friend, my friend whom I have been friends with for four years lost her mom. Her and her husband invited us invited us over probably once every two months, but I see her every week since we work together. Her mother passed away unexpectedly, and they've had the visitation and funeral already. I didn't feel comfortable attending the visitation since I've never met her mom. However, she personally invited me and and my husband to the celebration of life. It's way more chill. It has drinks and food and will only be for an hour. My husband refuses to go as he said he didn't know her mom, but I didn't either. And to be a good friend, I want to go to support since they personally asked us. It would be nice for my husband to come with, come with so that you know we can have each other since I imagine my friend and her husband will be busy at the event. I can't imagine my husband to join us as he's stuck on the I didn't know the deceased part, but this sounds more like a party and we were invited. 
what etiquette should I follow? Do I go solo, try to bring the husband or skip this one? Um, and so that that's kind of an interesting scenario and question that, that Sharon's posing to us. Very, very interesting scenario. Um, what it makes me think about is there's etiquette, but there's also you being true to yourself. But then the third part is also having to navigate and negotiate some of these asks in a marriage and in a relationship. Like, for instance, I am in an interfaith marriage, which is only relevant because, and I'm, we're both like holding on by a, a, a very thin thread to our religions anyway, <laughs> right? But there are a lot of asks about obligation and etiquette and like this particular holiday, that particular family gathering. And the way that my husband and I have had to navigate that and negotiate that is we have a few asks a year of, I really don't want to do this thing. Please don't make me. I'm uncomfortable on all of these levels. And then we check in with each other. How important is it to you that I'm there for this thing? Is this something that you can do without me? I don't feel right about going. And then maybe we even have an agreement that like a couple of times a year, we show up with love in our hearts to the thing that we don't really want to do because it means the world to our partner. And so maybe this is one of those situations where you can dig deep and decide, do I really, really need my husband there? Or is this something that I can show up because I love my friend? It doesn't matter if I knew her mother or not. I'm going there for her. She needs me. She wants me. I want to show that support. But maybe I don't need to drag my husband if he's really not feeling it because it will also detract from your experience. I don't know. Those are my thoughts. What do you think, Doug? I think several things about this, you know, and this is where our lovely, lovely, adorable guest, Kelly, I wish was back for this conversation because it's about how we grieve as people, right? And somewhat our discomfort with the issue of death and dying and the deceased. I think we in general as a culture struggle with that issue. And so that's in this, but, you know, Talia, going specifically to something you said that's really relevant here is that when I think about like my, my four C's of relationships and the importance of communicating what you need and what you want and what your experience is and getting to a place where you can navigate and compromise with your significant other in this case, where you can find what it is that both of you need and find what that compromise is. And honestly, it could be that the husband goes with to this event, but, and then you'll go with to another event of his. So it's always about kind of figuring out what feels good for your relationship. Um, I will tell you, I don't see a celebration of life necessarily as just a cocktail party, right? Like I think there is obviously a reason why you're all joining forces there and, and coming together. And so it feels like in some ways uh, it is about being able to to be there for your friend. And I, I think it's absolutely one way that you can show support that your friend specifically invited you. While I am the last person to think that people should do things that they should do or that they feel obligated to do, I'm not someone who believes in any of that. I think you have to be your authentic self and do what's right for you. And you can also communicate with your friend that I just don't want to come to this. 
But I think that feels a little bit like, you know, trying to figure out why it is that that's uncomfortable for you. And there's so many ways of doing that differently. You could go for a few minutes. You could make a, an appearance on behalf of your friendship. So part of this is making sure that you're nurturing that friendship of yours. And that's, in addition to your partner relationship, another relationship that needs to be communicated about and navigated and compromised on. Our friendships need the same level of communication. I think that you're saying something really interesting that I hadn't really considered until now in that like there is a fine line or there's some sort of a balance there between, you know, we're always talking about, you know, we're not always talking about boundaries, but showing up as you, as your authentic self, doing what feels good and what feels right to you. But what if that means you're not being a really good friend? Or what if that means that you don't want to go because of all of your own issues and your hangups? That's a problem, right? So do you need to look at yourself also and just be like, oh, I'm really uncomfortable. I don't want to do this thing. I'm overwhelmed, but it is actually the right thing to do. Here's what I think about that. Like, again, I would say that it might be that you're learning something about your friendship that doesn't work for you. And so either that person, and I believe like I always, um, I sometimes have clients do these maps where they put themselves in the middle and then the next level are these really, really intimate people in your life that are your, you know, ride or die people. Then we have other people at different levels of intensity and intimacy in our lives, right? And I think to myself, it might be that your friend is not as close to you as you thought they were if they're not able to be there for you in this way. Like, I think we're constantly evolving in our in our relationships. And I might extrapolate this to say that maybe that isn't the friendship. And I do know people who have felt like some of their closest friends were not there for them at a difficult time. And those people either get taken out of that circle or they get moved to a different part of the circle or they get removed from their lives entirely. And I got to tell you, I think relationships are constantly changing and evolving and there's new people that enter our lives and there's new people that leave our lives. And I think that's part of humanity. I am not somebody who thinks you should hold on to a friendship at all costs. I see you smiling, Greg. What are you thinking? This scenario in particular um, resonated with me because when my mom passed in 2004, it was incredibly hard for me to even enter a church to even think about any kind of funeral. Um, there were family members that passed that I did not attend the funeral because I just could not be in that environment. And it wasn't out of a lack of loving, you know, it wasn't a, la a lack of loving that that situation or, and, and, and it wasn't about them. It was in the, my relationship with them or my, you know, my family, it was, it was about me and about, um, you know, my comfort level. And I think, you know, that was something that was communicated and, and they understood, but you know, there's an, there are other sides to this too. Right. And that, you know, if you do have a good friendship and there are extenuating circumstances on why your husband feels uncomfortable, you know, going, um, your friend should also you know, balance that in the equation, you know, as well. Yeah. And that, um, there are many sides to, to this, but to your point, you know, supporting your friend and being there, I think you can do that in ways that may not necessarily require presence at this one event, right? You can still be present for them, but not necessarily at this particular environment. You know, you can find something comfortable that That's works right. for you. That's right, maybe not triggering. So, I mean, what you're saying is that none of this was a lack of love, but it was actually pretty triggering and traumatic 
for you to be able to show up in that way. But it sounds like you communicated it, which I would say maybe that's the piece. Like if there are reasons why you can not show up for your friend, because I feel like we're talking about the two sides of the same coin. It's like, what happens if we're having trouble showing up in a way that our friends need us to show up or our loved ones need us to show up because of our own trauma or triggers? Because we're talking about like, how do we take care of ourselves when we're grieving? But also how do we take care of our friends when they're grieving? Those are really important things to talk about, but it sounds like what you're saying is that you were able to communicate like, I really can't, I really can't for, you know, these reasons. I want to comment on something too. You know, I I think one of the pieces that I've always been struck by, like I, I know a lot of people who, if they see an obituary of someone that they think is either interesting or might have peripherally been in their life, they'll go to the memorial or the funeral. And I'm always intrigued by that because I'm not someone who will go to a funeral of somebody. I will go for a friend in a minute. I mean, that's a very easy thing for me to do, um, especially, again, my my friends are very much in my inner circle. I have developed an amazing amount of, you know, connection to my people in my life, and I would be there for anything. Uh, but I also think that there's a part of this where if I don't know somebody, I don't know the point for myself of going, but I also don't diminish the point that grief for other people might mean something different. And going to, you know, I, I get the queen is a great example, like the people that lined up for miles or whatever the amount of time was, that would not have been something I would have done. I have no need to see her body. I have no need to see her coffin. Um, and I have no need to be a part of that, whereas other people obviously do. And so everyone's grief process is very different about this. And so when the husband says, I don't know this person at all, you know, and he's even more removed, maybe. Like, I, I think, Tali, you mentioned this at the beginning. Maybe she goes alone. It's really okay to do your thing when you're in a relationship. You don't always have to be coupled. Um, I have so much I could say about that. Uh, they'll, that'll probably show up uh, on a number of different podcast episodes. But that's the piece. Like I would say, negotiate it with your partner, understand why he doesn't want to go. And if it's really important for you to go, go. And Greg, as you pointed out your own experience with your family, I am sorry for your loss. Obviously your mother has been gone for some time and that's at an early time in your life. I was going to mention your birthday recently, but I won't. Um, And how old you are. But I also think that there is, (laughs) I saw that. Um, I also think that there's a part of this where, Greg, you have a really valid reason in your own experience, and it's really important that friends understand that about each other as well. But you have to communicate it, by the way. I mean, I think that was the important part of what you did. If you just don't show up and you're not there for your friends, I can imagine that would be hurtful. Oh, yeah. Good luck, Sharon. So interesting. So staying on this theme today, we have Matt. Um, who has a question about attending a wedding. So we're going from <laughs> weddings and funerals today. Bring it. <clears throat> Cycle of Here life. Here we go. All Isn't right. that a movie with Julia Roberts? For weddings and funerals. <laughs> okay. All right. My boyfriend and I are men in our early 30s, and in nearish future, we'll, we'll be going to a wedding where he's the best man. It will include some of his family and some of his closest friends. So obviously I want to make a great impression. 
I've been to weddings before, but there's a few things I'm nervous about and I don't really know who to ask for advice. So I thought I'd try here. Weddings in general are very overwhelming for me. I do realize that this is someone else's wedding and it's not remotely about me, but my anxiety levels um, aren't important and I'm not going to be the focus of anyone's attention. Really, my main priority is to blend in as much as possible and not to stress anyone out. It's a long period of social contact without a break. And there's usually a, no non-rude way of getting some space from other people that are attending. And I have ADHD and PTSD. And although I'm confident I can handle this, it's going to take a lot out of me to, to go. Aside from my boyfriend, I, I won't know anyone else there. So that's um, obviously a concern. And I, I'm anxious about that because I obviously I don't want to be glued to him the whole time. I'm also pretty worried that it's as his first boyfriend and he's bisexual, by the way, um, people in his life will have varying reactions to that, especially from the family. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fancier and more formal than anything I'm used to or I've ever attended. And I'm nervous about being very out of place and having bad etiquette or whatever. I might screw it up unintentionally. And if there are guidelines or do's and don'ts, um, you know, that's a concern for me. I will be at the top table because he is the best man. So I will be sitting in front of everybody and that's extra pressure. And it's a nightmare. I'm a, I'm a nightmare with food on a good day because I'm a picky eater. I was diagnosed with anorexia and I'm incredibly eat, picky about what I eat, but also I hate eating around other people. Um, I have absolutely no idea how I can manage this. It would be much easier if I could not eat, <laughs> just sit there, but I feel like that might draw more attention. So I'm wondering if I need to skip this entire part or, you know, try, try not disappointing my boyfriend in the attendance. I also really hate being photographed. <laughs> it's more complicated than being shy or insecure. It comes from experiences of being photographed or videoed when I had sexual abuse as a child. Obviously, I have absolutely no intention of telling anyone about my past. Uh, my boyfriend has a rough idea on what happened, but he doesn't know the full story. Um, am I allowed to ask to not be in photos? Is it okay to be in some, but maybe not in others? It's mainly about being posed or asked to be, you know, smile for the camera. That stuff sort of freaks me out. Is, is there any kind of low-key way of explaining without going into detail that might help? Um, normally when I say I don't like photos, people just try to reassure me about my looks because they think it's a, about my looks, but this isn't the issue at all. Um, so I'm not sure what to do with all this stuff because I really wanted to grit my teeth and get through it, but I'm also not sure I'm realistically capable of feeling, looking like I'm comfortable or eating normally or appearing uh, in a, in a social way that would not um, offend or ruin the event for my boyfriend um, who I want to make sure that, you know, I'm supportive of in, in attendance. So any advice you have would be welcome. Matt, I am so glad that you wrote into us because you've reached the right people to talk about this with you. Um, uh, I want to say like many, many things about this. You know, for a lot of gay people, a lot of people in same-sex relationships, weddings are a little bit uh, considered historically a heterosexual activity. And a lot of same-sex couples have been really uncomfortable with that concept when we were denied that opportunity, but also showing up at an event, depending on whether this is rural, whether this is a more conservative area, um, there's always a little bit of discomfort with people who might have opinions about a bisexual person and your boyfriend being in a same-sex relationship. And of course, Matt, I want to say 
stand tall and stand honest and be true to yourself. And please try very hard to not worry what people think, because it is really important to just be your authentic self which going to your authentic self and you acknowledge that there are eating issues, you have some social anxieties, those sorts of things. I'm not big on pussyfooting around. Honestly, the future of your relationship with this guy could either be made or broken by how much you two are able to really disclose what your personal experiences are and what's going on for you. So I would say, I don't know that I would even try to box it up or be cautious about what you tell him about not only your social anxiety, but your eating history. I think, and I'm a little surprised maybe that it hasn't come up before. Um, If you have difficulty with navigating menus or dietary, like I don't know how many times you two have gone out for dinner or eaten at home, but it's a really fair thing to talk about upfront in your relationship to get you both really comfortable with that topic and navigate it again in your relationship. So I would say have a really honest conversation about your concerns with your boyfriend. Let him know that you are struggling with not only, you know, what people might think about him as a bisexual person with his first male partner and boyfriend um, and significant other, but also talk openly and honestly, if you can, about your eating issues, because it will likely take away some of that anxiety for you and you'll have some support. You cannot get support from him unless he knows what's going on for you. So I would say try very hard to be disclosing, Um, you know, if you don't want to go into the entire history, at least give him enough so he knows what your struggle is and your challenges are going into this event. But I think avoiding, by the way, like, like the word avoiding never, ever works in my vocabulary. I think if we don't address things head on, if we don't get honest and disclosing about what's happening for us, it really affects our relationships in general. Yeah, there are a couple of things that just really jumped out at me. I mean, my heart just is broken open at the idea that you are drowning in this concern and this unresolved trauma and grief that is, I mean, it's really debilitating too. I'm imagining not just in weddings, but like any social event going out for happy hours, going out for dinners, family get-togethers. Like there are so many things involved here. So that part with the unresolved trauma and the eating stuff and what does it mean to be out in the world and how do you navigate that? That your anxiety is just like through the roof. I completely agree with Doug that first and foremost, I am really begging you, encouraging you, have this conversation with your boyfriend. This is crucial because right now I think a part of it is you're in this headspace where you feel like you need to manage all the triggers by yourself and act normal without anyone noticing that you have all of these issues. That's not the right approach. You have a partner. I'm assuming you guys love each other. You're there for each other. He's your person. Tell him what's going on for you. And maybe he will even have some advice or some thoughts. Um, So number one, have that conversation with your boyfriend. You need an ally. You need to feel partnered. You need to feel seen, heard, loved, accepted. Maybe you could come up with a plan. That second piece about the unresolved trauma and the unresolved eating issues, or maybe they're slightly resolved. 
Um, that is something that I feel like in the future you might really want to consider deep diving a little bit more so that you feel like you don't have to be in a constant state of managing dysregulation and triggers every time you're out in the world and someone has a camera and no one understands. Um, Another little, so two ideas that I have for you. Idea number one, everybody needs a little bit of an elevator story, which means you need a 30-second light, fluffy explanation of what's going on for you so that their questions, oh, what, you didn't like the salmon? Oh, bubble, you know, what, what you don't, what you don't think you look good? Your hair looks great. Whatever that is, you don't feel like you have to tell them your most intimate problems immediately in that moment, but instead you have a little elevator story like, oh, I just don't do these things, or I already ate, or I already did the, you know, whatever that is, you can come up with it before you go. Here's my 30-second elevator story. Are people going to believe you? It doesn't matter. It's more about for you to have something where you're not sitting, like shivering in your boots, waiting for someone to ask a question you can't answer, which is going to make you feel even more terrified and more avoidant. Last thought that I have that may or may not be helpful for you is you might want to figure out what the timeline of everything looks like because you're absolutely right. You're probably going to be sitting there alone a lot. Your boyfriend is probably going to be engaged and busy and with all of his friends and family. So if you don't feel like you are going to able to show up and have fun, untriggered, even if you just make it a goal, of I'm just going to introduce myself to one person or I'm going to have my boyfriend introduce me to one person and I'm going to stick with them and I'm going to be very interested in them. <laughs> you don't have to be interesting. If this is about social anxiety, yeah. you don't have to be interesting. You've got to be interested and maybe that could help. But if you find that when you sit with all of this, there is no possible way for you to be able to show up and not be triggered and not be re-traumatized or not be anxious, what you might want to consider is don't be there for the dinner. Don't be there for the pictures, but show up with love in your heart and possibly a Xanax to just the part after all of it, right? And so you could just show up. Maybe you had another engagement, whatever that is, but show up to the parts that you're comfortable with so that you can shine and be your best self and show the best of yourself and not be just riddled with anxiety and panic the whole time. Those are my two cents. I I love that, Talia, from what you were saying, because those are some really great tips. And Doug, I I like that you hit on something that um, jumped out at me immediately and that's the communication because it's very clear that he wants to support his boyfriend, but he hasn't talked about this. So his anxiety level is exponentially un- unnecessary because he hasn't actually tried to talk to the one person um, who can, who might be able to help him get through this. Right. Because I mean, every wedding I've been to the best man's partner or spouse or whatever is not generally in those posed pictures. Um, it's generally, you know, the wedding party itself and they're, you know, posed in certain places. 
But if he was to talk through, and to your point, Tali, get a, get a timeline, try to understand more about the wedding, that would probably take the anxiety down to a five instead of a you know a twelve where we're at right now. And I also think that if he wants to support his partner or his boyfriend, he needs to rely on his boyfriend to support him. You know, his boyfriend right. obviously obviously knows people here, so there's a good chance he could introduce them or find someone in the friend circle that's not going to be at the main table that could sort of be a buffer or a partner, you know, through the wedding, you know, get him some familiarity with some people in advance that, um, to introduce him to that will make this a lot easier, you know, make it a a little bit more manageable um, because that's what his boyfriend should do for him as he's showing up for the boyfriend, right? And vice versa. Yeah. So I think to your point, Doug, communication clearly very important right now. <laughs> well, and I think one of the pieces, and I don't remember, I actually looked at my notes to see if I wrote it down, like how long have these two been together? Because depending on how long you've been together and how secure this relationship is, will determine how easily the two of you can kind of negotiate like what are the signals? What are the triggers? What are the messages you want to give to each other? You know, do you want to like have a handshake? Do you want to have a gesture that you have that says you're kind of going into those weeds and that you need some support? But I love what you said, Talia, about the elevator conversation where there's a script or there's a prepared sort of like management way to handle questions or difficulties or whatnot. Like, honestly, if somebody at this wedding had the audacity to say, so how do you feel about being his first male partner or boyfriend? Um, Have some sort of prepared message. I think scripts give us a sense of like self-control versus controlling others. And Greg, I love what you said about the, the support to one another. This relationship might really hinge on how you two manage these sorts of circumstances. Because as we all know about mental health, some of these triggers don't go away. They are ones that we have to learn how to manage in our lives. So hopefully that's helpful, Matt. I wish you the best at this wedding. I really do love the idea of that like hand squeeze or something like you guys are in it together. Come up with some sort of code. You're going to need it. Have a question for Doug or Talia. Email us your questions at questions at renotfine.com. Eligible questions will be randomly selected for upcoming episodes. For details, visit our website at we'renotfine.com. Join us every Tuesday for new conversations, new challenging topics, and fun.